Hi, friends, and welcome to the Intuitive Activist Podcast. My name is Leilani Raglan. I'm your host, and today we are joined with the incredible My Soul Sis, Misa Pedroso. Misa is a Pacific Northwest-based energy practitioner with roots stemming from California, the Philippines, Korea, and Japan. Her early work history in service-based industries led her to create her own business, which curates a tailored healing experience for each patient. Misa created a practice based in energy medicine while being classically trained in Western and Eastern medicine as an acupuncturist at Bastyr University. In 2017, she obtained her Master's of Science in Acupuncture and has been combining Reiki, acupuncture, sound, and light therapy ever since. Beyond the physical bodywork, Misa's interests extend to movement, herbs, and divination, and has recently received her 200-hour yoga teacher training certification in Hatha Yoga. And what I... When I think of Misa, I think of her ability to speak to the human condition and her ability to hold space where people can truly feel seen and heard. Combining that superpower of hers with her healing practice is something that's really moved me forward in my own healing. And she's also a lead practitioner of the Empower Women of Color Project Retreats bringing her light, her wisdom, her channeling into that space for black and brown women in the Pacific Northwest. So this is usually the part of the intro where I tell you to grab your tea, grab your snacks, bundle up in a cozy blanket, and enjoy this interview with the brilliant Misa Pedroso. Hi, Misa. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for being here, for sharing your light and your wisdom. Of course. First off, I just, I feel like we cannot have a conversation without saying, how are you, girl? How are you? How are the ancestors? Mm. How is everyone? I'm doing well. Thank you. So I always tend to want to start these conversations with, here's how we met. But when I think of you, I think of this like deep, deep soul connection. Like we knew each other before we like, quote unquote, I'm doing in quotes, like y'all can see it, like quote unquote met in this human realm. Because when we did meet, it was like, oh, 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 I see what's happening here. And you of all people, I feel could explain that like instant connection, that soul connection. So for those of a lot of our listeners are new to hearing about channeling are new to hearing about like the etheric realm, the divine realm. So just like, can we get just like a level set? Like how do you Misa see the world? I know it's very similar to how I see the world, but I would love to hear what that looks like for you. Well, if we're going to use the format of like meeting one another, that is explained a couple different ways. So um, if you're more science-based, I would definitely say that our electromagnetic fields have crossed and that brings up knowing that's inherent to what Lynn Taggart in her book 
the field has called, um, has coined the field, right? So it's a field of knowing, it's intelligent information, and it is a substance that we can all access. And we all do this every day. I liken it to the sixth sense, if you will. So we all have the sixth sense of knowing if we just slow down to really process it and to understand it. So upon meeting anyone that has similarities in their makeup, be it a particular level or density of their field, then you're going to immediately recognize that. It's like chemistry, how like recognizes like, you know? So it's just kind of like, wow, I know you and I know I haven't met you in this realm, but I do know that we're connected somehow. And so whether that is a cultural knowing that we both share having phenotypic Filipino lineages, or if it's through different lenses that people use, depending on their language, right? Some people will say it's their guides or others will just say, I just have a knowing, right? So it's just that ability to harness a sixth sense within us to really connect information and and draw it together. Sorry, that was kind of long, wasn't it? Um, No, (laughs) not at all. I like what I love the most about you is I'm over here when I talk with my coaching clients and I talk about the divine realm, the etheric realm, I, I talk about like the spiritual knowing I'm like, it just is. It just like, I have no words to put like when somebody that has like a very scientific earth-based perspective comes to me and is like, well, what does that really mean that I'm like, I'm out. I I've got nothing. So when, (laughs) so hearing you describe it in that way, I think what it gives me is an opportunity to sit and reflect about what types of conversations am I having to like bring people along who aren't necessarily just thinking like me. Right. I think it's also that ability to like speak to people in their own language. Right. So maybe an engineer has an engineer's brain that wants to know how to take things apart and wants to know how it works, but may not have as much activation of the left brain or the limbic brain or our reptilian side of the brain that really taps into our knowing. And it's that what we are at our core animalistic properties. Right. So I, I too, like, you know, speak to a lot of different people, regardless of their background. And I just try to make it so that they understand it through their words. Which brings me to another point. And I'm what I'm, what's coming up for me is a conversation we had recently and you and I, we get into the weeds with politics, with all the stuff going on. And you mentioned, you know, I have people that come to my table that don't necessarily share the same beliefs I have that don't seem share the same political beliefs and all that. And I know that you're a fierce fighter for the people like you are intensely. I mean, this is why you're here. (laughs) This is the work you do. And so what I want to pull on is that thread of bringing people along and saying it in a language and really, and and we haven't even started talking about healing because you are a healer. What is the process for you? Well, first of all, what's healing to you? What does that mean to you? And second, what does it mean to bring people into that healing space when they don't necessarily understand like all the things that you get, you know, you have a fire burning inside of you to correct and and how do you, how do you navigate that conflict? Yeah. So let me just define healing really quick. It's really this ability to bring ourselves back into homeostasis. 
So as humans and part of our condition, we're always striving to come into balance, whatever that means, our inner world, our outer world, biochemically out there with our chakras. I mean, there's so many ways that we can come into balance. I was thinking about this the other day about like the, um, I don't know why I'm bringing more science into this today, but you know, I'm not sure if you're aware, but pH, like a pH scale it really talks about the potential for hydrogen. That's what it means, right? So whether something is more acidic or basic depends on where it's at on the scale of zero to 14 with seven being kind of that mean level, right? And what I find is really interesting if we look at into like a numerological perspective for the number seven, seven is divinity. So the fact that water, the fact that, you know, we are over 70% water in our bodies and every day we are striving for balance. I think that just says a lot in terms of our molecular scale and what we, what we really need, you know? So every day is different. Secondly, because I am a classically trained acupuncturist, I know both Western and Eastern medicine. So when people come in, I really don't care about your affiliation in terms of your politics and, you know, things like that. Like my interest is in your heart, in your essence, and really into bringing those aspects into balance, right? Because while the political things may contribute to the way that I speak to you, really the heart of it is health. And by the time that we've achieved most of our worldly success in later life, what is left? It's our health, right? That's the wealth that's left over. That's the only thing we're trying to achieve is our health. So I guess from that perspective, healing is always coming into congruence with your environment and then within yourself. What I love about what you said is almost boiling healing down to, because when I think of healing and, and especially in the terms of activism and racial justice, it's a lot around like, okay, well, there's this system and this person's been harmed and this and that, and which is all incredibly important. Like it's, it's almost this like very, very complex structure that's in place of like how I can interact and how I can promote healing and how do I contribute to healing and how do I do no harm? But what I hear you saying is that boiling it down to who is this person in their heart and how can I help them get aligned? Because regardless, the image that's coming through right now, and we channel on the show, y'all, if you don't like that, then er, sorry, wrong space. The image that's coming through right now is this notion that in order for social justice, for racial justice, for environmental justice to come to be, we have to be willing to see ourselves and each other as whole humans first. Like we have to be willing to go beneath the surface and to say, where has hurt been perpetrated? Where has harm been caused? And why do we have these differing perspectives? It's so much deeper than just, oh, that person's an a-hole, <laughs> which is what we hear all the time is like, well, I'm not going to get political because it's just uh, it's a spiral. But I do think that it's it's almost like a cop-out because then we are not doing the work to really see like what's underneath. What I'm reflecting back and what I really heard in that statement from a social justice lens, I guess what I also wanted to kind of bring up is that we all fight in a different way, 
right? So if you follow my feed, um, you'll notice I'm not really 100% out there with really huge political statements or anything like that, because my activism stems from at home teaching my children, right? So, So that is the focus that we really need to promote for the future. Because, you know, I have teenagers and around the dinner table, you know, we say, well, hey, you know, this is the political climate out there right now, but this is really your fight at this point. This is your ability to care, to make choices that will define your future. You are our future. And so whenever we reach a point of contention, even within society, we have to really first, as I teach my children, take a step back. Let's take a step back. Let's take a breath. Let's consider where the other person is coming from. And then with that knowledge, we can go forward with our own movement and with our own strategies of how to really disarm a situation because I'm, I was in the Montessori school system since like a wee little two-year-old. <laughs> so I'm definitely a peacekeeper at heart and I'm a bridge maker. And so uh, my children are as well. And so it's really about that ability to disarm one another, either through having a crucial conversation. And that's a book that we use widely in the corporate world, or even uh, Dr. Marshall Rosenberg's um, nonviolent communication which also is a tremendous system to use in order to identify the human condition first and then really eliminate anything else of conflict that's going on. But it's a skill and it's just like a muscle. We have to use it or it will atrophy. I love all of these little nuggets. I feel like what's really sticking out is this tendency that we have as as humans to you know, create our in-groups and out-groups and, oh, well, you believe that and I believe this and and to keep ourselves separate. And what I hear you saying as the bridge maker, as a peacekeeper is like almost starting with empathy, right? Starting with, okay, how do I prioritize how this person will receive this message best and not necessarily sacrifice your voice because what you're doing is you're actually amplifying your voice because you're able to get that message across. But what I see so much in activism today is this like almost like forceful, like I'm going to get my message across whether you like it or not, but your mode of activism is I'm going to get my message across in a way that prioritizes the message getting across. Right. And I mean, really for me, I'm like a super non-confrontational person. I don't like confrontation, right? But I think in my older years, as I've just come into my own and who I am, What I do is two things. I assess, you know, will this have a positive outcome or the outcome that that I wish to to deliver to the other person through conversation? Or is is it that space that I just kind of take a step back and allow the person to be witnessed? Because sometimes people just need to be heard. Right. So I'm, I'm constantly assessing that while out in society, because I feel like, especially in this climate that we're in now, when we meet people, even people we've been sort of acquaintances with or deep friends or family, it's almost like we're drawing a line, you know, and we're saying, well, what side of the line are you on? And right. that's just because of the fear based 
the word that's coming is proclivities around, but it really is, you know, and how do we dismantle that? How do we disarm that? How do we lay our weapons down? It's by first saying, I recognize you might be suffering and you are human as I am. How can I bring more love to this situation? That's me when I'm in kind of channeling mode or just deeply reflective mode. But, you know, I'm also uh, really pragmatic too. So emotions get the best of me at times as well. So I am certainly not perfect, (laughs) but I think I try on my highest and on my best days to, to really approach situations that way. How can I bring more love? What's going on? That it's so beautiful because I truly believe that bringing more empathy, bringing more love, bringing more authenticity, bringing more vulnerability is the way forward and getting us out of this effing mess we're in. I I know at some point I'm going to start cursing on this podcast. I'm like trying to decide when that will be, but, but to get us out of this mess, right. That we're in, that we're going to, it's going to require all of these very heart centered skills. And it's so counter what we're seeing, right? Like it is the absolute opposite of what we're seeing. We're seeing tearing each other down. We're seeing almost imbalanced divine masculine. It's gotten like out of control, right? We're not balanced anymore in the divine masculine, divine feminine. And what do we, what do we do with that? And I guess for, for listeners that have never heard the terms like divine masculine, divine feminine, and, and the, the imbalance of like how we're showing up in this world that we live in, in this, at this particular point in history and what it means to bring the divine feminine back into balance. I mean, I feel like that's kind of where we're going with this conversation and would you be open to just sharing your knowledge on that? Cause I know you have a deep well of wisdom on, on those things. Sure. I think at the most base level, when we say things like divine masculine and divine feminine, we are subscribing to an earth-based idea of duality, right? So duality exists not only in our universe, but also kind of the macrocosmic world as well, whether we believe in other universes, other planes of existence. Duality exists because there cannot be one thing without the other, right? So when we boil that down to earth-based contentious imbalances, I would say that it really boils down to A lot of where my brain is going is like the idea of colonialism. And that's something that's like pretty relatively new in terms of like the history of our entire planet. Right. Because I guess what I would say is being in Earth, we and different religions and animistic religions around the, the globe really tapped into their ability to live in commune with nature. Okay, so I guess I'll start there by saying, you know, as humans and being um, interdependent and part of our world requires a certain set of natural laws to be in place and for those laws to be respected. So through time and through sort of this distortion of power, dynamics, land conquering, colonialism, these ideas have become really morphed as far as the placement of this delicate balance where woman at her highest divinity 
is not better than a man. She's just simply more because we carry within us the ability to create, right? We have a portal within us. And so ancient spiritual cultures and ancient cultures in the past, and even now to this day, when we look at the African diasporic religions, there's a lot of female veneration, matriarch systems, matriarchal systems, right? So when we look at different systems that have really promoted the patriarchy with the advent of religion and things like that, those systems discovered the the power, so to speak, of women, of their divinity. And through the millennia, really, have tried to distort and dismantle that power. So that still exists within the paradigm of 2020. And what that looks like is, you know, with the advent of iron uh, metals, you know, metal smithing, what is that? What is that called? Um, when it industrialization yeah. and also consumerism and then the different things in, in our American history have led us to this place where now money is king, the male dominates certain corporate aspects of business. And that system is starting to unfold now and kind of be shaken out of its foundation because it's no longer sustainable. Because at the heart of it, it requires balance. It requires the dualistic forces of both sides. I don't really like to speak to kind of the patriarchy in a negative sense, because in order to keep the integrity of who I am and what I represent, I acknowledge that they're also needed. Absolutely. But it's also about promoting positive masculinity and allowing our youth to really um, become fluid with how they feel and what they understand these normative processes in our society and to dismantle those. So it's already happening. And so what we can do, our indigo children, generationers, um, generation, what are we, X, Y? Um, millennials are Y. I'm Y. I yeah, we're, we're like, so, you know, it's it's important to like really support both the generations before us and also ahead of us by right. also recognizing the fact that we will be ancestors one day, right? So we have this sense of responsibility and it's imminent at this point, right? So sometimes it can feel like spiritual warfare out there where there's this proverbial battle between the divine masculine and divine feminine. And you'll hear that those words being used. But what I really try to educate people upon is how does this exist within your own self, your own real world? And how can we bring more balance to that situation, right? How can we unpack the things that have been traumatic and allow space for healing? When I think of that struggle, that's where I go. So hopefully that was an okay explanation. Oh, that was beautiful. And I think what I love about that is again, and and this really resonates with my own personal healing journey is I think I spent a lot of time trying to fix all the things outside of me, (laughs) like trying to fix my dad, trying to fix, you know, like all of my, my partners, my siblings, my mom, like all of these external factors when the most 
impact that I've had in my own healing, obviously, is when I turned it on myself. And I, what's also coming through is this notion of the duality that lives within us, not only the divine masculine and divine feminine, but also the good and evil, the, you know, I, I guess, I think that when we talk about divinity and spirituality and all of that, I think that and this is my own personal, like what I've come to in channeling the universe is I think we, again, we tend to think of like the devil and the heavens and all that being external. When at the end of the day, I think what could really serve us is to think about our own, like, how is that happening? What is the war that we're waging within ourselves? And what could it look like to bring that into balance? And I do think the patriarchy, it's its out of balance and all of that. And, and you're right. I mean, there's parts of me that are divine masculine and I wouldn't ever want them to go away. If they went away, I would, I was just joking with someone earlier today. I'm like, I've been so in the divine feminine these last few months. I cannot be on time to anything. Like it is so hard and not to say, but like that structure, those rule, the systems that are in place to kind of keep order. I need those too, you know, and I need those because I need to make a living. And so it's just really interesting to think about it as almost a more expansive view of an incredibly two-dimensional way that we've been looking at solving these giant problems that we have. Like they're, they're huge problems. They're complex. We need to figure out how to love each other. We need to figure out how to see each other. We need to figure out how to empathize with one another. And we're trying to solve them in ways that are too thin. And if we just took a moment to turn it on ourselves and say, Hey, when I'm communicating, if I start with empathy, that's going to have more impact. And the duality in that is like, and understanding my part in this, like, what is, what is my responsibility? What, and, and what of my healing needs to happen in order for me to be contributing to this collective ascension, (laughs) An important factor to like really consider too is how different schools of thoughts are out there, right? Like how can we be more effective as a community, right? And so that's what I often ask myself because while you may be doing work in your realm, I'm doing work, there's other people who are around, other light workers, you know, the thread that we're really talking about is this sense of responsibility that is not only inherent within us, but it's also externally projected. And so it frustrates me when people say, well, you know, that person's not doing something over there that they should be, you know? And then I I really caution people when they're saying a lot of those words, like should, I should be doing, even if it's like internal talk or external projection of somebody else's right? The best we can do is really build strong communities and connect all of our thoughts and our intentions together in order to be more potent with our delivery, right? And so there's a lot more that we can do in community than just alone. So it's, again, building like-minded, you know, or attracting, not building, but attracting the like-minded people together and then coming to consensus about the most effective ways to move forward in the world, right? Which, which has a link to our future, our children, right? There's all those mm-hmm. things and being good stewards of the, the earth itself. Um, these are all things that we are accountable for, right? And so I think that that urgency 
I, I don't always see that around, right? It's not just having a recycling bin and being able to recycle things and compost things. It goes really beyond that. Uh, you know, just looking to creative leadership and being able to connect all of our hearts together. Oh, it's so beautiful, a beautiful vision, I think, to, to say that this is the way forward. And so for those of us who are like, ah, oh, that's so, because you're talking about the collective, you're talking about bringing together like minds, you're talking about the generations that come after us, you're talking about healing the hurts from the generations that came before us. So it's like, okay, now we're looking at this, like the complex issue that it is. Where do we start, Nisa? Please tell me. Yeah. So I think that it starts with identifying potentially contentious or confrontational relationships in our life and really making um, a concerted effort to build bridges with those, right? Because it's not going, we're never going to heal anything if we run away from the thing that is challenging us the most. Because oftentimes why somebody is affecting us in such a deep way through like an emotional reaction or just like even a physical reaction, I think that that gives us a lot of information about the work that we still need to do, right? So I'm not mm. saying like go out there and put yourself in harm's way or anything like that. But, you know, we notice these little intricacies of our connections because everything's relational in our life, right? So Thanksgiving's coming, Christmas is coming, depending on the phasing system of whatever region you guys live in, that's going to be difficult, right? But it's also, if we had that COVID era kind of pulled back, we're also speaking to those family dynamics where you feel really pent up going to an event like Thanksgiving and you're like, oh God, you know, my in-laws are going to be there or whoever, right? That weird, crazy uncle that's super intense and always talking about whatever. How can we bring more love to that situation, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's really about balancing that person or witnessing them so that they are heard, so that they can maybe shift even a micro inch or angle into really coming into alignment with their own higher self or path, should they choose. Because it's really a, it's, it's an observation and we're really guides. So we're not here to, and it's according to a universal law as well. We're not here to tell anybody what to do. And we're certainly not here to lead people into anything that they may not want to do, right? Because happiness is truly an inside job. So we don't know what makes people happy. Sometimes people just need to be in certain contentious states because they need to let steam off or like, you know, like, but witnessing that and being able to detach ourselves from emotional reactions and responses can really start healing a process in a family system or just like a relational uh, exchange. Right. And that's for me, that's, that's the most important part of each relationship that I step into is, wow, you know, certainly I, I could have been a little bit more empathetic to that individual if I chose to, right? So I think that that responsibility, it really serves us in this time specifically to say, you know, call out the elephant in the room and say, wow, the political climate's super crazy. How are your kids? Right. Mm -hmm. So being able to like connect with somebody on a really heartfelt human level 
and just say, let's put this on the table for now. And I respect and I hear your differences, right? But how can we come together in order to bridge something in order to exchange some energy in a positive way? Oh, Misa, you've been such a spiritual teacher of mine for so long. And to hear that, even that example is like, yeah, the political climate is crazy. How are your kids? It, what it makes me think is leaning into vulnerability, being willing to be the first person to set ego aside in service of connection and service of community. And I just think of all of the people who are probably going to get a lot out of this podcast, empaths, light workers, channel, spiritual channels, people who can walk into a room and know what's required for, for a lot of that. Right. And then people who maybe are on the fence of like, I see this and I want, and those are the, I feel like, like, how do we, how do we empower one another in those spaces to be the one who is on the fence, right? The, the one that maybe is a little more soft-spoken, the one that does avoid conflict that, you know, like, how, how do we bring them and empower them? And, you know, and I know, I, I feel like even asking the question, it's a little externally focused and maybe that's what it is. Maybe I just do me and hopefully that that's modeling something for somebody else that needs to just see how it can, how it can look. Right. I don't know. What are your thoughts there? So I feel like people who are more introverted or in a group setting, there's a lot going on in the world right in their world. And so I would say the best way that we can offer our hand in connection is through an invitation of faith to say, and, and not faith, not in a con religious context at all, but faith in saying, I see you, I am willing to hold this container and create a safe space for you to come out and say, or contribute what you would like because I am willing to create the boundary of the safe container in the space and I will hold that through. And that could just be a small gesture of saying, yeah, I've noticed that you, you know, I've been sitting in the corner. We've said a lot. What are your thoughts? If you're comfortable to share, right? So it's always asking permission. It's always extending an invitation and it's certainly delivering a lot of faith. So I think that those types of practices can really help bring people who are perhaps marginalized or on the outskirts. I'm talking more of a macrocosmic. So the people who are out in the system, right, who are out there and need our support, let us not forget them. And if we forget them, let us acknowledge that we've forgotten them. But to say, please forgive me that I've forgotten, you know, this marginalization, right? And I'd like you to bring your empowerment to the conversation, right? So it's always an invitation. I love that. And then those of us that are doing this work, because it gets, it's big, <laughs> our big, big work. As a, as a healing practitioner with so many different um, styles and lenses and, and different modes of healing that you bring forward, how do you recommend that we take care of ourselves, our energy when we are doing this big work, because there's so much to do. Yeah. There, I'm a yeah. big, um, I'm very passionate about healers getting self-care, right? So that's a point that a uh, pain point that I've seen in my like 10 years of kind of being around the community where I'm like, wow, you know, why, 
why is this person who's an amazing psychic and they're able to access different realms and deliver some amazing information, why are they not taking care of their bodies? Why is their relationship with their family awry? Why, you know, are they healing to healing? These questions kept coming up. And so my focus really became on the healers because they have a bigger reach because they are already doing the work. So I guess my plug always is to do your big work. You have to have a community and you have to be supported by that community. And you have to be able to really take care of yourself in a way that supersedes taking care of someone else, because we can't give if we're not full ourselves, if we're not filled, right? So I have a personal regime of, I do an acupuncture trade every week. And then I also get an amazing massage and kind of craniosacral every three weeks. So that's my, my regime that I stick to really consistently because I can't serve my community if, if I don't have those processes in place. A question just came. It's going to feel really off from the ether because I think it came from the ether is if you could go back in time and talk to five, six-year-old Misa and tell her anything, <laughs> what would you say? I wouldn't go back in time. Wow. I'm here now and my inner child, I can access at any time to let her know, right? but I wouldn't go back because mm. all those lessons I learned to get me here today. But to your points, what lessons or what things would I want to tell a younger version of me? I would just keep it simple and say, be excited about your future. I love that so much. And when you talk about accessing your inner child, because I feel like this is why this question came forward is the importance of connecting with our inner child in service of our healing. What does that look like to you? And what, yeah, what has that looked like for you in your journey? Well, from a personal context, I realized in my own self-healing journey that my inner child, my physical self and my godlike or higher self needed to come into congruence, right? And so with that specific healing, I was able to curate a type, that type of healing to my patients who come in, who maybe haven't had access to their inner child, or what I like to say is on autopilot with their highest self, because from a chakra perspective, that just looks like your crown chakra and your heart chakra is open and everything else is shut down. So it's kind of like your robot zombie going about your business, but you're, you're alive but you're not living, you know? So when I think about my inner child and that healing that needs to take place, it really is in connection directly to my inner joy. So my inner child won't come out or do any of the healing unless it's fun, unless, you know, they're willing to lead me back to that place of joy. So when I'm much too serious, which I can be, a lot of the time, um, I have to remember to loosen up, to unfreeze that area and to let that inner child come forward. We need that inner child, Misa. 
Nice is so much fun. So much fun. I guess, I mean, what are you doing these days to be joyful with everything? Like, I know hearing you say like the healing has to be joyful, but just like in this moment, what is bringing you joy? Like the resurgence of all the things that I used to do as a child. So it's a lot of singing. Um, a lot of, I just picked up a uke. So I'm playing chords again. Okay. Um, and it really is for me, I love making things beautiful. So um, I make jewelry. So that's like really awesome. Yes. I have gifts coming for, you know, Christmas and just being able to um, repurpose things as well is a great joy. So um, yeah, and nourishing my family, of course, food, and then learning about herbs. That's also really fun and super nerdy for me. So <laughs> Uh, Nisa. Okay. The last one, this is, this question came about in my last podcast and it's kind of silly and corny, but what is your bumper sticker advice? Like if you could put Nisa's stamp on a bumper sticker, what would that look like? Um, I like to say a lot of times like hashtag yoga saves lives. So Mm. I recently also became a yoga practitioner of Hatha yoga and it's really about a personal practice of movement as well as breath, right. To, to unfree any stagnation. Cause that was a, a portion of my practice that I was just missing. Right. Um, I wasn't as connected to Qigong and Tai Chi as I was yoga and pranayama. So, you know, there's been a couple different scenarios where I think that I could have been really emotively reactive, but I chose to do a quick flow and that really broke up that reaction. So I like to tell my husband all the time, Hey, yoga saves lives. <laughs> so it's that would so my bumper sticker. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. And breath, breath is life. And I don't think we give breath enough credit for how it can completely change a situation, a relationship, a I don't know. It's, I love that. Uh, well, gosh. So I, I really want people to know how to get a hold of you, how to access your offerings. I know you do some stuff online. You're, I mean, all of it. Tell us how people can get a hold of you. Okay. Here comes the shameless <laughs> marketing, right? <laughs> No, but, um, I, I have been off Facebook for like 15 years and I'm just trying to get my feet wet again, but I really tread harder on Instagram. So you can find me at harmonics.253 for all of my like acupuncture and Filipino love there. Um, and then for my movement practices for, uh, movement herbs and divination, I've also created, um, saffron and moonlight, and that's still, um, creating audience and getting bigger. And that's really fun. And that's a, a place that I can be a hundred percent vulnerably me. And then my jewelry places, um, space for pause, like S P A C E F O R P A U S E. So, yeah, but, um, call me, text me. I'm really approachable. I swear. <laughs> so if you can't text me, then email me or call me. But when I'm in my office, it's terrible reception. So I would just text me. (laughs) Misa, I love you so much. I am so, so glad to share this beautiful space with you and to 
just amplify your wisdom and, and your connection to universal wisdom. And I just, you know, I, you know, I love you girl and I admire you and let's not forget about the healing retreats and power women of color at empower women of color at WOC project, um, on Instagram as well. Misa is a lead practitioner for that. And yeah, so many beautiful things that you're putting out into the world. We're so grateful you're here, Misa. Thank you. Thank you. And I love you. And forever, anybody who's listening to the replay, if no one has told you today, we love you. Oh, we love you so much. Mm, All the goosebumps. Okay. Thank you so much. And until next time, take care, everybody. Oh, friends, so many gems, so, so many gems and just a privilege to be with the brilliant Misa Pedroso today and to be able to just understand the role of healing in all of this work that we're doing, right? With activism, with the collective care, the collective cleanup of, of our world and really these personal journeys that we have of our own healing and how that contributes to the whole. And so I'm super, just super excited that we were able to have this conversation and to share it with you all. Um, do look Misa up. All of her information is in the show notes. And for now, just encourage you to take good care of yourself. Be still my friends and live into your impact. Talk soon. Mm -hmm.